Strong voices. It's not just about one state. It's not just about one community. It's about all of our communities. The issues that face Indigenous peoples around the world sit at the heart of the questions that we're asking about the future of our political order. I am here and now, and I speak my language. I practice my cultural essence of me. What we do need is a more critical race consciousness in this country, a preparedness to talk about race, to talk about the way in which racialised logics are inscribed upon our bodies and to critically examine them in order to change it. The government's changed, but we've got to be still here. We're always going to be still here. We've been here for 65,000 years and I don't think we're going to go anywhere. What the system still struggles with is this collaboration with First Nations people. A strong voice is an Aboriginal voice. Hello, good morning. Kyle Dowling back here with you for Strong Voices. We're coming to you from the Calm Radio Studios here in Abantuala Springs uh, on Arundel Country here in Central Australia. And we're broadcasting to uh, right across Australia through Vast Channel 911. Also coming to you via the Calm website online at karma.com.au. Uh, today is Tuesday, the 17th of September 2019. Great to have your company this morning. Uh, Coming up on the show, Victoria has uh, taken the next steps towards treaty with uh, its First Nations peoples with moves towards establishing the group which is going to lead the way for those treaty negotiations. We're going to be hearing from the Victorian Treaty Commissioner, Jill Gallagher, who's going to be providing the latest on what's happening there in the state. Uh, In a move to address the overrepresentation of First Nations peoples in the criminal justice system, we recently saw the launch of the Aboriginal Justice Agreement. We heard from... uh, Leanne Little released a report a, a bit about what that agreement means. Uh, that draft agreement uh, was released and is actually seeking feedback at the moment. We're going to be hearing from the peak Aboriginal legal service provider for Aboriginal people here in the Northern Territory who are going to be sharing their thoughts on that agreement this morning. Also, we're going to be hearing about a new family and uh, kinship model aiming to keep children and young people connected to culture, family and community, which was uh, launched in uh, Alice Springs. We're, of course, as well going to be hearing the latest in Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander news from right around the country. But before then, we are going to go to a couple of tracks and then we'll be right back with our first story. Hey, Mob, this is Patrick Johnson, and you're listening to Strong Voices. Be deadly and stay deadly. We're going to head down to Victoria now where the Treaty Advancement Commissioner, Jill Gallagher, has reached out to critics of the uh, election process for the First People's Assembly to elect 21 of the 32 Assembly seats. The remaining seats have already been allocated to formally recognised traditional owner groups. Ms Gallagher says the process will not leave anyone behind and if they get it right, every mob in Victoria should be able to negotiate their own local treaty. We've come a long way since I last spoke to you and we will have the First People's Assembly of Victoria which will consist of 32 seats from across Victoria. For the last couple of months, um, Aboriginal people in Victoria uh, uh, can enrol to be on the... uh, 
First People's Assembly electoral roll. This week we begin voting for those 21 seats. As expected, uh, it's not going to suit all of the people all of the time. There appears to have been some issues around uh, who was eligible, which mob could, who was talking to who. There's some of the challenges. I mean, it'd be different, Paul, if we were back 240 years. We still had in Victoria all our clans intact and we... We would have still had our traditional way of doing business and our people who are recognised to be able to negotiate on behalf of the clan. Now, we don't have that. We're in a modern world, 2019. So whatever we designed, this, this body, this representative body has to work because it has some very important business to get through and the, and the things that the body has to achieve. It has to achieve the treaty authority. That's the independent umpire in this space. It will be. They also have to negotiate with government the treaty negotiating framework. So that's going to be the rule book. And if we get that rule book right, every mob in Victoria should be able to negotiate their own local treaty. Even though there is some dissent amongst the ranks and people uh, are making waves, at the end of the day, if it goes ahead as planned, everyone will benefit. Of course. We won't leave anyone behind and, um, you know, treaties are too important. So it's really exciting. You're never going to make everyone happy. Over the past three and a half years, I've heard many, many different views on very various aspects of what the, the design of the body is going to look like. At some stage, we had to listen to some of the um, design principles that the community gave us. It had to be culturally strong, which it is. It has to be independent of government, which it is. We want to elect our own representative body, which we will be doing. And we don't want to leave anyone behind. Design the First People's Assembly of Victoria. That's the next stage in the treaty process. And once our elected voice is up and running, they will take us further down the treaty process. Jill, what would you say to your critics out there about where it's at now and why it's important for it to go ahead? Well, I think where it's at in the year 2019, it's time. We have a government here in Victoria that is committed to exploring treaties, so that's one thing. First time ever have we had any government that's committed to treaties, so that's one thing. Secondly, how long do we have to wait? We've waited 240 years for treaties for our sovereignty to be recognised and the fact that we have a government that's prepared to explore treaties with us says to me that they're recognising our sovereignty and how we play that out is important. We have to start somewhere. If the process or the model isn't perfect, it'll grow and it'll evolve. And the Assembly, the people who are elected, will make it better. So that's what I say to all the critics out there. The trouble going on down there with the, the, the sacred trees, I mean, again, that raised a, a number of issues about so-called Aboriginal organisations. There were accusations made that they're government-funded bodies and they really uh, shouldn't have been part of that process. Is there any link-up with a similar setup now with, with the treaty? I think some people are pretty quick to condemn Aboriginal organisations. We have a process here in Victoria 
Whether it's a perfect process, I don't know. But there is a process, and the, the uh, issue with the trees has highlighted there's a flaw in the process. We don't throw it all out and start again. We fix it up, and we make it stronger. You know, the trees, the mob down there are doing a great job, and uh, I wish them all well, or everyone involved. But I do have to stay focused on establishment of the First People's Assembly of Victoria. You were talking about treaties for each of the different mobs. I mean, obviously, this has been a massive journey. How hard will that next step be? I don't think it'll be that hard. British Columbia have done it over in Canada. So in the First Nations people in Canada, they're 4% of their population over there in that country. We're 3% of the population in this country... They've been colonised 170 years. We've been colonised, what, 240 now, 250, something like that. We have similar issues, dispossession. There's a lot of massacres and a lot of crimes against humanity committed on First Nations people in Canada, the same as here. They've got a truth-telling process as part of their treaty process. This is what we're asking for here under this process, truth and healing for all our communities. I believe the next phase... Look, it's going to be tough, but it's doable, and, and I believe we can do it. As we've seen, uh, going back a number of years ago, the Yorta Yorta native title claim, you, you were talking about the time that has gone where each of the tribes were easily recognisable, their country mm. was easily recognisable. Not so easy today. So, again, when these discussions come up, obviously these arguments are going to come up again. Who's who? Which mob is which mob? Well, in Victoria, we've, we've done a fair bit of that already. There's still parts of the state that aren't covered by a uh, recognised group, whether it be under Native Title or whether it be under Traditional Owner Settlement Act, which is a state piece of legislation, or whether it be under the Victorian Heritage Act, who knows? And that might change under the treaty process. I don't know. But at the end of the day, we have 11 traditional owner recognised groups. And yes, there might be some people out there who have expressed concerns about a prescribed body corporate. But going forward in, in a modern world, we have to have some structure. Surely we do. Whatever that structure is, we have to have. I don't know what the, the right structure is, but together I'm pretty sure we can evolve and grow and make things better for ourselves under a treaty process. We know governments come and go. The necessity to get this happening now, I mean, you don't want to drag things out any further. I mean, you do have a government that has said it does want to look at the treaty process. Why is it important now to to proceed and make sure that this happens? I often wonder to myself... Why is Australia, because we are the only Commonwealth country that doesn't have treaties with its first peoples, why is that? Why, why, what, what, what are Australians or Australian authorities scared about? And I believe if we can dispel what people are scared about, I believe if we can get some runs on the board and demonstrate to the rest of Australia that Australia's not going to go broke if we have treaties. Australian government not going to give up power if we have treaties. If we can demonstrate that treaties are not a dirty word, of course they're about compensation and, and reparations for the past wrongs. They have to be. But it's more than that also. It's about ultimate recognition of our sovereignty that's what it's about it's about empowerment it's about hope and it's about economic development for our communities i actually want to move our communities from managing poverty to managing wealth 
And I believe if we can demonstrate that the rest of Australia aren't going to lose their farms or their properties, I reckon all political parties won't be so scared in the future. The fear tactic, uh, historically, I mean, it has been used by uh, a number of governments when, you know, talk about native title and treaty and, and, and what the mob are after. I mean, it's a, yes. it's a tried and trusted method. It's worked in the past. So, again... Uh, reassuring the Australian public and obviously reassuring Victorians that this isn't going to be the end of the world. No, it's not if we have treaties, if we have that ultimate recognition uh, of the traditional owners of this country, the sovereign peoples of this country. We must have that. There's no process that's perfect in this world, but we do need to start somewhere as a people. And we do need to grab those opportunities that come our way and not just sit back and let them go by. That was the Victorian Treaty Advancement Commissioner, Jill Gallagher, uh, speaking with Karma's Paul Wiles. We're going to go to a song now, and then we'll be right back to hear about a new uh, kinship foster care model that was recently launched here in Alice Springs. You're listening to Strong Voices on Karma Radio. Well, in March of this year, more than 1,000 children in the Northern Territory were in out-of-home care, almost 90% of which were Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander. Of those 970 Indigenous kids, less than 30% were placed in family or kinship care arrangements. In order to address this, uh, Tungandjuri Council and Territory Families announced the launch of the Children's Safe Family Together model last week. Uh, today, we're going to bring you the audio from that launch. The first voice we hear is the uh, CEO of Tungandjuri Council, Walter Shaw. Following uh, Mr Shaw, you'll hear from uh, Dave Wakefield, the Minister for Territory Families. Firstly, I just want to welcome everyone here to uh, Tungandjuri Council today. This is a very important and significant and symbolic announcement that is going to occur here today alongside Minister Wakefield. Tungandjura Council feels very strongly around the Children's Safe and Family Together program. This program will uh, provide significant gains not only for the Northern Territory Government but for the Aboriginal community controlled organisations within the whole of the Northern Territory. So this, uh, this program here has been uh, a program that has been worked through uh, through the course of many years. I guess we've come to a point now where governments can see the benefit of Aboriginal organisations operating in the space of child protection and increasing the capacity and out-of-home care and also coupling that with the kinship care model. This model here has been rolled out and it's seeked um, involvement from over 50 stakeholders uh, on a national level plus uh, input from the Northern Territory Government. Tungandjura Council has felt that the child protection system itself was antiquated and there needed to be major reform not only at the government level but also uh, at the non-government organisational level. It is Aboriginal community controlled organisations that have to fill in the void and operate within the space to protect our children. Our children's safety is paramount not only to us but also the rest of the Aboriginal community so this paves the way forward for us to ensure that no longer do our children remain in long-term institutionalised care within the child protection system. This provides a buffer zone for families and children so that children um, are put and placed back into the safety and the care and protection of the Aboriginal community. Why is it important for um, children to grow up? You know, identity plays a key role um, with Aboriginal people 
our, our, our identity is our makeship of what we are as Aboriginal people. I, I guess um, this this space is, uh, has been overlooked for far too long. It has taken the political goodwill of this Northern Territory Labor government to ensure that we build and fill in the um, the service gaps within the space of child protection and out of home care. You know the the high rates of Aboriginal children. Uh, and families uh, being identified through child protection is enormous. Uh, and, I, and I guess if, uh, if Aboriginal people and the community and the governments are serious about the uh, welfare and the, and the protection and the safety of, of our Aboriginal children, if you continuously remove Aboriginal children out of the Aboriginal community, you might as well shut down the Aboriginal communities. Could you elaborate more on what sort of outcomes you hope to sort of see come out of this? Yeah, look, there, there are a number of phases. There's four phases within the um, within the model itself, and I'll allow the minister to elaborate on on those four phases. I guess the outcomes that we'd like to see uh, is an increase in reunification of children back to their biological uh, parents, mother and father, and through the kinship care model, uh, allowing the Aboriginal community that have got functioning and strong families within the uh, broader community to become foster carers and kinship carers at that. Uh, I guess um, the foster care system and the out-of-home care system didn't allow for much scope for Aboriginal people uh, to move into that space as being carers for our own children. Uh, this model seeks to provide that capacity to them, uh, provide the skills and tools necessary uh, for Aboriginal families that are strong uh, to gain control uh, of, of our children's safety and welfare. What are the challenges in um, providing good care for Aboriginal children? Look, I think uh, in the outset that uh, is from time to time that Aboriginal people um, and Aboriginal children that are at risk uh, have to be removed. Um, I guess with this model, it uh, it's sort of a stop block that um, any families within uh, the community that are Aboriginal uh, that come into contact with child protection, this program seeks to assist with uh, those families navigating the child protection system. It provides a buffer uh, to assist families that are struggling. Uh, we know that it's very difficult uh, as parents, uh, as guardians to grow children up and this, this allows a basis and, and foundation to assist those families. If we could decrease the amount of numbers of children, Aboriginal children, going into uh, the care and protection of the welfare system, you know, that's a win-win for all. It's a win-win for government, it's a win-win uh, for the non-government organisation sector and it's a win-win for Aboriginal families and community. Can I just say, um, I really want to, I was just thinking what a privilege it is to be standing amongst this group of people who have been advocates for their community and making sure that there's been a strong voice for Aboriginal people um, in Alice Springs um, but also in this case um, in Australia. Kanunjira has been the only Aboriginal-led community organisation that has provided out-of-home care and has been doing so for 14 years. We um, are very proud to be partnering with them to lead the way of taking the next steps. I've already asked Territory Families um, for an implementation plan for this program. 
We have, during our term of government, already seen an increase in the number of Aboriginal kids with Aboriginal carers. We will continue to increase that because we know that where kids are safe but also have a strong link to their culture and identity, no matter what culture they come from, um, we know that there will be a better outcome um, from children um, growing into being part of our community and, and stronger adults. Um, so the whole point of today is to really um, thank Tunanjir for their work. They have done an amazing job in this report and um, we are very serious about ensuring that it's implemented and that we have a, um, a way forward to ensure that all of our kids are growing up strong and healthy in the Northern Territory. Well, I just want to add that um, you know the, the, this uh, this model is a culmination uh, with VACA, the Victorian uh, Aboriginal Child Protection Agency, and uh, you know the, the Eastern Seaboard is decades well ahead of the Northern Territory. So uh, for for this model to come on par with with what has been happening uh, on the Eastern Seaboard, it's the right move. And uh, you know, in the words of Martin Luther King. When it's right, the time is always right to do what is right, and uh, that's what Tunganger and the Northern Territory Government is, is seeking to achieve. That was Walter Shaw, the uh, CEO of Tunganger Council, ending uh, that audio piece there. We're going to go to a track now, and then we'll be back with the uh, Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander news from across the country. Hey, hey, this is Shawnee Tilbury, and you listen to Strong Voice on Karma Radio. Woo! Yes, that's right. You're listening to Strong Voices, and now it's time for the Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander news from across the country. Very happy to say that I'm joined in the studio by uh, Karma's Damien Williams and Paul Wiles. Good morning to you both. Good morning, Kyle, and good morning to all our listeners. Good morning. Well, Damien, we'll start with you. I understand you've got a story this morning in regards to uh, Aboriginal burial practices. Yes, um, burial customs uh, facing harsher criminalisation in the Territory through the introduction of a Burial and Cremation Bill uh, 2019 um, here in the Northern Territory Parliament. Uh, this story comes from the National Indigenous Times. Uh, the bill was introduced into in the Parliament's August sittings and, if passed, will um, enforce regulations around the burial of uh, Aboriginal Australians on Indigenous lands uh, in the Territory. Um, you know... <laughs> So the burying of relatives outside the government's um, recognised cemeteries will see the traditional customs and actions criminalised if um, permission is not sought and granted from a Darwin-based bureaucrat. So this is, um, you know, yeah, it's it's un, like just unthinkable to think that you'd have to ask someone, you know, a bureaucrat, if you could bury your family on Come your here. land. <laughs> and so, um, you know, the uh, Yolongan man and member for Northern Boy um, in the Northern Territory Legislative Assembly, um, Yingya Mark Gaiola, said uh, this new bill is an attack on Aboriginal culture. Uh, in a quote from him saying, our people, when they die, become sacred objects. With this bill, the government um, are not showing respect to our sacred traditions. Uh, the member for Nulumboy also said that um, we will not bow down to, and ask permission to bury Ken, um, you know, accordance, especially with the Yolonga law as well, where, you know, yeah, they bury um, their people on out on country as well and even here we um you know back home 
we've uh, we bury people back on outstations and, and country from where they belong and um yeah, it's just... Uh, That's been happening for thousands of years. Uh, yes. So I, I, I think, you know, um, is there a, a monetary payment involved in this now? Uh, mm. Is it, a, you know, a, another tax on Territorians? Uh, when you die, someone has to pay for you to be buried? Or I mean, we know that that happens already, but now we're talking about... Criminalising. Yeah. Yeah. Um, um, people on country. A, a practice that has been there for thousands of years and uh, one that obviously, as uh, Mr Gayla um, has suggested, um, needs to be shown some respect. And obviously when you're in that situation, the last thing you want to be doing is having to jump through all these hoops and, and you know, you're already going through a very difficult point in time and, and you know, yep. then you don't want the concerns of having fines and things like that. And like Damien was saying, having to, I guess, reach out to people in Darwin might be difficult. As we know, communication within communities as well is, is you know, often sometimes I think that can be difficult as well. So obviously uh, a very interesting situation. Well, one, um, it would be interesting to um, get the view of some um, elders from down here in Central Australia and see uh, how they feel about it as well. So um, uh, something that we might follow up. Yeah, and I'm, you know, trying to have a look at, um, you know, even the cremation stuff as well. I mean, you know, people um, spread the ashes of loved ones, uh, you know, a lot of places, and even that can be... Um, criminalised as well, even though I've never heard of. Um, or in our in Aboriginal cultures, I don't know. I'm not sure if people um, burn, but it's not in our culture. But um, hmm. you know, yeah, it's just a bit. And I mean, like even non-Aboriginal people as well have, you know, opted to follow the last wishes of their loved ones, saying, "Oh, you know, can you burn me out?" At, at this space or, you know... I'll spread my ashes wherever. Yeah, yeah like, yeah. Uh, you know, Strelo was buried at Hoshi Bend and, um, you know, people... Yeah, it's it's pretty... Uh, <laughs> it's just annoying to think that that will be criminalised if the bill passes. Well, we might uh, find the relevant government minister and just get some thoughts on that as well. I'm going to head to our next story now. Uh, we're going to be heading to Western Australia, in particular in Perth. The Aboriginal Affairs Minister, Ben Wyatt, has actually launched an interactive map which is acknowledging Noongar place names in the Perth Central Business District. And it's uh, apparently going to be bringing renewed recognition to the traditional owners of the land and their ongoing connection to the region. Forgive my pronunciation for this if I get this wrong. At the uh, Nyala Buja Mili Mili known as Our Country on Paper, is uh, the work of research conducted by Aboriginal History, a division of the Department of Local Government, Sport and Cultural Industries. Uh, 31 place names with information about significant significance of each uh, place have been identified and included on the map, as well as uh, early photographs and references. I did have a quick look at that before jumping on this morning, and, yeah, you, you sort of navigate around the map. It's like a like a sort of older version of the map on top of what you'd expect on like a Google map and then you can go to each right. of the places they have the Aboriginal names and they have mm. the photos of those places, uh, quite old photos of them and then a bit of the information surrounding each of the locations. So 
Um, I'd imagine for uh, many um, non-Indigenous Australians, again, um, reading the history uh, about things mm. Mm. that many know nothing about and uh, being able to look at the... Uh, longevity and connection to country for many of the uh, for the mob over in uh, you know each of these different areas uh, uh, the significance of that in getting an understanding of you know why uh, Aboriginal or First Nations peoples um, uh, continue to talk mm. about the word sovereignty and all of these issues uh, if um, we what we do know is that um, there's been a, a pretty one-sided version of Australian history mm. over the last couple of hundred years and um, it's only now as we uh, move towards um, treaty and uh, in here in the Territory and in um, down in Victoria and Queensland have also shadowed moves but uh, um, truth in storytelling uh, will become a much bigger issue as we go forward and uh, Obviously, there's a, a lot of stories that have never been shared. And, and to really understand why um, Aboriginal people always talk about that connection to country, it's, and you know, this kind of thing will show why that connection is so strong, and it's talked about a lot. Mm. Yeah. Well, just quickly on to you, Paul. You have a story this morning in regards uh, to CEO bonuses. <laughs> just a quick one to finish off um, for... Any of the mob out there who are feeling a little bit short of a dollar, uh, no need to worry because uh, our top CEOs um, have uh, the announcement has come out uh, for their bonuses for last year. Um, and uh, yeah, some interesting figures. Um, Mr. Alan Joyce from Qantas Airways, um, his pay with bonuses last year, 23 million. $876,351. Hmm. I'll say that again, $23 million. Um, The year before, uh, the CEO of Domino's Pizzas um, last year received $36.8 million uh, hmm. for his pay. Damo, um, coming from a community... Um, what would that mean to a community? One of those salaries? Oh, that would just change the change the whole, you know, dynamic and look and feel and everything about a community. That would, yeah, really. Well, this is a salary for, for one year. One person yeah. for one person. One person for one year. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah. Um, again, when we look at the the widening gap between the rich and the poor, uh, it is continuing to grow. Mm. Um, and we're not saying that um, these CEOs don't work hard. I'm sure they do, but are they worth that amount of money? Yeah. <laughs> mm. It's a lot of money. That is the question. <laughs> well, on that note, Paul, Damien, thank you both for joining us for the news from around the country. Thank you. Cheers. We're going to head to a track now, and then we'll be right back with our final story. Hi, guys. This is Dan Sutton, and you're listening to Strong Voices on Karma Radio. We're going to head into our final story now. Uh, the Northern Territory Labor Government has released a new draft of the Northern Territory's first Aboriginal Justice Agreement. The agreement aims to prioritise the involvement of 
uh, justice outcomes and services for First Nations Territorians, which will look at reducing the rates of reoffending, imprisonment, and to engage and support the strong leadership of Aboriginal peoples. Last week, we heard from Arundel woman Leanne Little, the Director of the Aboriginal Justice Unit in the Attorney General's Department, who played a significant role in putting together the, uh, putting together the agreement, which she said was a first-time evidence-based position being taken in an agreement like this. This is a watershed moment for the Northern Territory. It's a draft agreement. I've had 30 years' experience in this space as a police officer, a lawyer and a policy maker, and this is the first time that we've got an evidence-based, sound, robust, community-focused position built within the 23 strategies of the draft agreement where we're dealing with some of the really complex issues to why Aboriginal people are in negative contact with the criminal justice system. The agreement has also been welcomed by the Territory's peak Aboriginal legal service, the Northern Territory, the North Australian Aboriginal Justice Agency, NAJA, and Karma's Damien Williams spoke with the CEO of NAJA, Priscilla Atkins, about what this will mean for First Nations peoples here in the Northern Territory. It's a fantastic historical um, moment for all Aboriginal Territorians with the launch of the Aboriginal Justice Agreement. What the Aboriginal Justice Agreement is, it's a formal agreement between the NT government and Aboriginal people and communities on working together to improve the justice system. So, um, you know, it's about really taking a lot of steps backward to have a look at why are Aboriginal people coming in contact with the justice system and then working with the government on how to change it and improve that system. Because Aboriginal people for many, many years have wanted to take responsibility for their own mob in their own communities, but, you know, haven't had that voice. So through this Aboriginal Justice Agreement, that's the voice they have. They can actually bring their experience and their recommendations to the table and, you know, make significant changes within the justice system um, that will be, you know, a positive improvement for Aboriginal people right throughout the Territory. What are some of the major ones that uh, you're really um, looking forward to changing? Oh, look, there's a lot of really great ones. So there's things like, you know, reducing the um, imprisonment rate of Aboriginal people in the Northern Territory. We know that, you know, over 85% of Aboriginal people in prison are, you know, are Aboriginal and we want to change that. So it's looking at having alternatives um, to prison. It's also about having, um, you know, reviewing a lot of the reforms, things like the Bail Act and the Sentencing Act. Um, Also going back to community courts so that Aboriginal people are working with the the courts. It's things like working with the law and justice groups in the community so you have elders taking responsibility for their own mob and working with the judiciary on, you know, what's beneficial for that client. Um, And it's expanding things like community-based sentencing options you know, when I grew up in Alice Springs, not many people went to jail because, you know, a lot of them were given community work orders. Um, so it's really looking at having um, different programs that we know and it's evidence-based um, that will work. A number of um, our mob, uh, you know, go to jail for, like, unpaid fines and seatbelts and, like, minor um, infringements and that kind of thing. Are you looking at sort of trying to, um, you know, deal with that kind of issue as well? Yeah, most definitely. When you look at how many people are in prison, probably about 50% are in there for six months or less. So they're on minor offences. So why would you be clogging up the court system and paying in excess of over 100 and something thousand to keep a person in jail when you can actually have them, you know, do a fine or do a community work order? 
So they're actually back in the community contributing back to their community. I just uh, saw another media release as well on Naja adopting the custody notification service. Yeah, so it's been fantastic that Naja's been funded by the um, the Commonwealth um, to establish the custody notification service within the Northern Territory. So what that is is a 24-hour, seven-day-a-week service, and it's about any Aboriginal person who's picked up in the Northern Territory on charges and put into a watch house. It's legislation for the NT police to contact our, our number. It's a 24-hour number, and it's manned by um, Aboriginal people who have experience working um, you know, with their own mob across the Territory. And it's really doing welfare checks, making sure that they're okay. You know, do they need uh, any medical assistance? Do we need to contact family? And it's about working... It's, it's now working with the police. You know, there shouldn't be a time where we're working against police. It's about we all want the same thing. We want a safe community, and the way we're going to do that is working together. And so how is the uh, original justice agreement going to be um, uh, rolled out? So what will happen now is um, they've done a draft agreement. It'll go out for consultation so that people um, right across the Northern Territory can provide feedback up until March next year. And then from there is where, you know, they'll establish really strong um, governance structures for that agreement um, where they'll be able to look at, you know, what partnerships will be formed, how it will be um, the action plans on how it will be implemented with timeframes, how it will be evaluated. So, you know, it's not something that's going to sit on a shelf. It's going to be a live document and all Aboriginal people are able to contribute to that. Priscilla Atkins, thanks very much for joining us here on Calm Radio. No worries. Thank you. That was the CEO of the uh, North Australian Aboriginal Justice Agency, uh, Priscilla Atkins, speaking about the Aboriginal Justice Agreement. If you would like to give feedback on the draft of the Aboriginal Justice Agreement or, or want to make a submission to the Aboriginal Justice Unit, you can go to the website at aju.ajd at nt.gov.au or you can call 0889 Three five seven six double five. Submissions close on the 31st of March 2020. That's going to conclude Strong Voices for this morning. Thank you so much for tuning in. If you've missed any of the stories or want to listen back to the program, I'll be posting up a podcast of the show. We'll also have uh, some of the stories being posted up on our website as well. And also make sure you check out our social media, our Facebook and Twitter as well for some of the stories going up in there especially from our uh, Karma Online News as well. We're going to be back at the same time tomorrow. Stay safe and enjoy the rest of your day. Strong voices.